You can kick your fancy ales, you can drink them by the flagon, but the only food for the brave and true comes from the green dragon. Bayorn is a towering bear of a man, literally. A burly woodsman whose home is on the outskirts of Mirkwood. Bayorn is a skin changer, a man with the power to adopt the form of the bear that he so uncannily resembles. Bayorn is a mighty force for good, who may yet play an instrumental part in the rising struggle against the forces of evil. Welcome to the Green Dragon, your weekly podcast about the Lord of the Ring and Hobbit strategy battle games by Games Workshop. Thank you very much, David, for that reading. Oh, thank you. I'm Jeremy, and with me we have Charles as well. How's it going? Now, you may have guessed from the title and the reading, we are talking about Know Thine Enemy, Bayorn. Okay, we're going to start with the model, because here we have people who care about the aesthetics of the game. Let's talk about the models. Now, I've laid them all out in front of us. I've got them all painted. I'm ready to show them off. Let's have some comments. Looking at Bayorn, he is what you'd think. He's a tall man, he's got a big axe, and I reckon your paint job combined with a fairly impressive model, it's coming out beautifully. He's definitely taller than a standard man. He's not absolutely huge. I kind of like that because he's often with the dwarves in the scenarios or you need him to stand out a little bit. So that's pretty good. He's bigger than a hunter orc as well, but not too ridiculous. He's, he's quite big, but not overpowering. I'd say compared to some of the older men models, like Gondor and Rohan, which were released a very long time ago in plastic, he's absolutely giant, though. Yeah, but that's what he's described as, I think. So yeah. that's not too bad. And we've got multiple poses of him. So the first one we've got is him holding his two-handed axe. That was the first release. So stock standard, a nice pose. I think it's actually my favorite of a lot of them. Yeah, I think it's pretty dynamic as a pose. It looks like he's actually about to take a swing into a bit of wood like he was in the movie when they first encountered him. Actually, I believe that was the extended edition of the movie, um, not the theatrical release. Yeah, they put him in the extended edition a lot more, which is good because he was sort of got the short end of the stick in the first one. We've also got the Bayon and Bear combination there. So we've got Bayon now leaning up against his axe. It's still a nice pose, still quite good, but it's not as dynamic. And you've got the bear, which is, some people like it, some don't. Yeah, with regards to the bear model, um, we had, well, you had one that we used to use when we had scenarios with Bjorn, because I believe we wrote our own Hobbit scenarios a while ago. And I much prefer the model that you used to use, um, though I'm not entirely sure where you got it from. Neither am I. There was a range of not Hobbit models at 28mm a while ago, but I can't seem to locate who owns it. So it's got, they had some adventurers, nine adventurers, they had some goblins on wags, and they had some various other things, and one of their model was a, a huntsman and a bear. Now, the huntsman was rubbish, it was really a terrible model, so I didn't get that one, but the bear itself, I think it's quite good. I've got it in front of us, it's slightly bigger than the, the bear from Bayon the Bear, it's a more stereotypical black bear, but it looks quite good, it looks the part, but I also quite like the other one that... Some people don't like. It's a bit smaller, but I think it, it looks the part, and if it's painted well, it looks okay. I think the main difference between your bear and the official bear is yours looks a bit better fed. Like, it's a bit sort of... Yeah, he's a chubby bear. Yeah. He's been out, he's fed well, he's slayed some foes, he's, he's living well. I think also he's in a better pose because he looks like he's hooking into some goblins or some wags or something like that with his claw in the air, whereas the other one's just more on the prowl kind of hunting out orcs rather than actually attacking them. I'm hoping someday to do a, 
maybe use him as Grim Bayorn or maybe do a scenario where we have multiple Bayornings and having having the two bears going at the same time. So having three of the men is actually okay. They look very similar, but I'm okay with that. The last model I've got in front of me is a modification, a conversion on the original Bayorn the Man, and I've put a bow on him. So he's got... I took the bow from the Gladrum Cavalry, I believe. They had some separate bows and... The quivers might have been separate or I might have cut them off. I can't remember exactly, but it's quite a quite a long bow that he's got. I've got that in one hand and I've got the axe in the other hand. Hopefully I can put these up on the episode thread or on the cover of the, the episode. We'll see how we go. But I quite like this one because he does have a bow option. Yeah, and the bow looks really to scale with him as well. Like It looks like it's about seven foot long, which is a good deal longer than the average bow. Almost the length of an English longbow or something like that even. Yeah, I've put that model on the the table before or put it around people and people go ask me if it's a great bow and I said, no, it's just a strength two bow and they, they look at me in shock. Said, oh, it must be a great bow or it's they at least that. an elven bow. Yeah, I go, no, I don't need it. Only the strength two, that's all we need for bows. Okay, so let's go into the stats. Charles, go for it. Well, we start out with his man mode. Most of us know that he can go between man and bear. So his man mode is a six inch move, fight six with a shoot value of three plus because he does have access to the bow. He's got strength five and defense five, three attacks, three wounds, courage six, three might, three will, three fate, and he comes with a two-handed axe. So you said, what was it, fight six with three plus, is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I'm just going to check if I heard that right because for some reason I heard six plus to shoot. I went, oh, that's rubbish. Why did I give him a bow? Okay, the bear. The bear is basically a more buffed version of him. He's got 8 inches move, fight 8 with only a 4 plus shoot value, but strength 8, defense 8, again 3 attacks, 3 wounds, and courage 6. And his might, will, and fate value are a little unique in that they're represented by stars, and that means basically that he retains the values that he had when he was in a man mode. Okay, so Bjorn has a Fairly impressive array of special rules, starting with Burly, which is your ignoring the neg one to wound. No. Starting with Burly, which is your ignoring the neg one to win the fight when using a two-handed weapon. On through Fearless to resistant to magic, woodland creature, and his own specialized special rule, Skin Changer. Bjorn has the ability to transfigure his body into a deadly bear. To change Bjorn's form, roll a d6 at the start of his move phase. On a 4+, Bjorn changes shape from a man into a bear, or vice versa. Replace the Bjorn model with the Bjorn the bear model, or vice versa. Bjorn can then continue with his move as normal, including making charges. Bjorn cannot change form if there is an enemy model in base contact. When he shifts into bear form... He still has Burly, he still has Fearless, he still has Resistant to Magic and Woodland Creature. He, however, gains Terror, he gains an extra Brutal Power Attack, which I'll come back to, and he gains Berserk. Berserk, as a bear, Bayon pushes aside his quiet wisdom he possessed as a man, instead becoming a frenzied killer. Bayon the bear must always charge an enemy if he is able to do so. Additionally, Bayon may not use a standfast or heroic actions from other models, and any other models may not use his whilst he is in bear form. Should we go back to the crushing attack now? Okay, I almost fell asleep after that because you just went through and read the entire rules without my commentary or translation. I see. Over so, to you. 
So we've got Terra only in the bear, is that correct? Correct. And then we've got the, the changing form rule. So it's basically a four plus to change form at the start of the move, is that right? Roll at the start of his move, yes. Yep. So you declare you're going to change form, go for it, you keep your stats the same. So if you've got three might, you keep your three might. If you've got two might, you stay on two might. You can only change once per turn, I take it, because it's at the start of the move? Correct. Can you do it in the combat phase? It just says at the start of Bayon's move. So I guess that means no. I would think it means yes, wouldn't it? Because you get to move again in a heroic combat. Yeah, if you're going to call a heroic combat, I don't see why not. But usually if you want to go from man mode to bear mode, don't you try and do that as soon as possible? You might not be able to fit the base in. Does that mean you could attempt to change in the move phase, fail the attempt, try again in the combat phase of a heroic combat, or succeed in the change, then barge to allow you to move again? Turning back into a man. Okay, so in a heroic combat in the fight phase, a hero calls a heroic combat. If he slays all his enemy, we know that. He may move again before proceeding with the fight phase. He may move again. This additional move can be a charge into new enemies if you wish, in which case the models will fight again in the ordinary sequence. So unless it's been FAQ'd recently, I think he can because it's an additional move and at the start of his move. So at the start of the additional move, then he would get another four plus shot. Yeah, or be able to turn back into what he was. So you could potentially, say, be in a bear and and go back to a man. To fit Um, through some small spaces or... It might be a good tactic to play on people if they think the hero's safe. So you're in bear form, you call a heroic combat, and they've got a man-sized model gap between the model that they're hiding. You could call a heroic combat, turn back into a man, and then take out the model. Um, Yeah, I think that could be really good value to go against smaller heroes. But because he does get a little bit more vulnerable when he sort of turns back into a man, then I don't think he's very good at fighting bigger heroes when he um, turns back into a man as he would be when he's fighting a bear. Well, you could be also in fighting in the small gap as the man and then use the heroic combat to turn into the bear and keep going. Yeah, clear the gap from the three or two or three enemies that you can kill and then make yourself into a bear and... Go nuts. I've done a similar thing with Azog and his Warg, where I've dismounted during a heroic combat and then got through a gap that people didn't think I could and then ended up trapping a model and killing them. So, And then you kept the kept the Warg, which is great. But I think you could probably do a similar thing here and be really nasty with him. Would you have to call the heroic combat or could you use this off a barge? Do we know how that's worded? or No, barge is something different. Barge is... Um... A special move or a... Yeah, I'm not sure about this one. It's The monster may move up to D6 inches in any direction, including making a further charge if he wishes. If the monster uses this move to charge another model. So it's a move. Is it an additional move? I'm not quite sure. Yeah, quite possibly. Quite possibly. But I think it's not as clear as the other one, which said it's an additional move. You get to move again. This one says you just do a D6 move. So maybe, maybe not. That's Yeah, that's a tricky one. His other rules, he has Berserk, where he has to charge nearby enemies if he can do so. Yep, and this is the one that you actually like if you're playing against him, because it means that you can bait him away, you can, if he's in the bear form, use him to charge ones. I guess that's another reason why you might want to turn back into a man. If you're in a position where you didn't want to charge in the following turn, you could turn back into a man after heroic combat or Yeah, definitely. Else. We have found before that um, it's rather beneficial sometimes to not have to charge someone but we've also found that you can use that rule to your advantage by throwing someone away where you sort of want to be rather than having to charge where your opponent wants you to be 
yeah, there's some some good tactics there on both sides. And the other one is that he's uh, cannot benefit as a bear from other people's heroics or cannot use his heroics to benefit others. He's basically on his own, and that can be a real disadvantage. So you might want to be in the man, especially early game, if you're doing things like marching or uh, heroic moves and things like that. You probably don't want to spend his might. You probably want to use the others. I know he moves faster as a bear, but because he's a little bit uncontrollable... I could see you wanting to use him in a man form at the start of the game, keep him hidden, and then jump out in a bear towards the end. He also doesn't confer or benefit from standfasts, but there's only one or maybe two standfasts in the game that would affect him anyway. So Yeah, what's that, Gandalf and something Saruman else? Saruman the White, Saruman the Wise. Oh, okay, just Saruman's, yep. Not Gandalf the White? I would have to check. I haven't yep. used Gandalf the White in a long time. Yeah, yeah. anyway, it's, it's one's a benefit heroes. There's not many of those around. I know Azog's got one. The new Azog, and then... He's yeah, evil, though, so that's irrelevant. Yeah, w- would hope so. So you've got a pretty good stat line across the board. Lots of lots of high stats, even as the man, but then as the bear, you just get to really massive levels. Yeah, that defense eight. He also picked up an extra brutal power attack, in case the regular three are getting a bit boring. Crushing strength. Instead of striking as normal, choose a losing model. That model immediately suffers a strength 10 hit, as Beorn engulfs him in a deadly embrace. If the Tawoon roll is successful and is not prevented by a fate roll, the victim suffers another strength 10 hit, and so on, until the victim is dead or Bayorn fails to wound him. Yeah, this is one that I've looked at, and I'm not I'm undecided about whether I'd like to use it. I personally haven't really used it at all, but I have used, seen it used to great effect, which I'm going to talk about a bit later on. But it's the potential is there to do some damage. If you're up against a multi-wound model, you can do some real damage there. Getting them all in a row can be hard. Like at the best, you're going to have a three plus. And what's his strength eight or strength ten? Strength, strength ten. Strength it's eight. Just... The crushing strength goes up to ten for this. So it's attack. a strength ten. So anything defense eight or under, you're going to be a three plus to wound. So it's probably worth it for a few things. Uh, Multi wound models, trolls, maybe maybe like dwellers in the dark or. I think actually dragons because don't they have to take a courage check every time they fail, every time they take a wound, or is it just? Uh... Yeah, that's correct. They have yeah. to test every time they are wounded. If they pass the first one, they pass all subsequent ones. Oh, yeah. If they the way fail the first now. one, they're dead anyway. Yeah, that, that's that's correct. They altered the way that courage works in this edition, so they only have to pass one check. I believe this is one where you look at the rule and go, how lucky are you feeling? Because, yes, you can cause 20 wounds to Smaug. Unlikely to happen. But if you're feeling lucky, go for it. It'll make a you know impressive story. It does make a very good story. So tactics with Bayon. Firstly, I want to talk about how you would use him on the battlefield. Then we'll go into about what army list should use to either support him or for him to support. And maybe some oddball cases if we get up to that. So how would we use him first of all? So on the battlefield, I think he's best used as a monster in his bear form. Basically to control where your own opponent's army is and where it can reach. Um... He's really good at knocking stuff over by throwing them into terrain or sort of barging people out of the way to make room for your heroes to go through or even himself to go through and attack other things. At the moment, I'm looking at the Bayorn with his just hands on his axe sort of surveying the battlefield and I'm thinking that that would probably be his role. He'd be standing there behind my men just looking around waiting for the moment where he turns into a giant bear and you know beats down on things. Because I don't really want the unreliability of my giant 200-point monster wandering off because it feels like it. So I'd probably keep him in man form until I saw something that I wanted to crush, and then I would go in and crush it. 
Yeah, unlike a lot of monsters, you've got the option of, of not being a monster for a while, so you've got the advantage of having the small base. It's still decent stats, but ideally, when combat hits, you want him in the bear form. You yes. want him. You want him in the bear form, but you don't want to have that disadvantage where he has to charge a model out of the way you don't want, or he has to miss out on a heroic combat because you've caught it with a captain and he doesn't get to benefit from it. So there's there's times when you want him to be in man form. Most of the time, you use him in the way you use a monster in general as a bit of a line breaker. Mm-hmm. The barge is fantastic to be able to go assassinate enemy heroes, go hug a big monster if you want and see what happens. You could really use him to, to force the opponent. And at 200 plus points, he's he needs to pull his weight there. He probably needs to be going after heroes. He probably needs to be maybe throwing down someone's line and knocking over their whole front rank so your other infantry can jump on them, doing stuff that's really big for the battlefield. Yeah, I, I see at 200 points he's costed more than most other monsters. He really needs to have an impact on the game to justify the extra cost, I feel. So yeah, you really need to utilize him really well and make sure that he has an effect on the game rather than maybe just sitting him behind your army going, oh, now he's not in position to actually get to where he mm-hmm. needs to be. I've got a 50-50 roll to make to make him into a bear, and I can't actually use mm-hmm. might on that roll. But my idea with putting him in with a whole lot of support is the idea is if he botches the 50-50, he's got enough blokes around him that you can still wander into combat with some blokes, do some damage but he's not going to get lured off by a couple of bat swarms and spend the whole game trying to duke it out with, you know, four wound flying opponents. I feel like you could actually make fairly short work of a bat swarm, though. Yeah, that looks like a hug target to me. Yeah. Yeah. Even if he's not in bear form. Even then, I'm thinking it'll probably take two turns to get through one. By then, you're 16 inches away. I would love to throw the bat swarm through your own, through the opponent's lines, because the bat swarms could take some damage from the throw but also make a mess of the other things. They're relatively low defense as well because they've got a rather large base compared to most other things. They will knock a few things over. Yeah, and they might take some four plus to wound them wherever every model they pass through. You might actually rip them apart. And then the advantage is they're not being annoying to your next turn and forcing you to charge them. So you could do some things there, but yeah, you don't want to be baited the way. Uh, the worst ones, I think, would be things like wags and useless models there. You end up going running totally away from everyone else because... There's a wag sitting eight inches away from you on the side, whereas everyone else is eight and a half inches away where you want to be. Yeah, I've noticed he tends to have a little bit of problems with faster models than him because, like, he can just be forced to play chasey with them and sort of, like, chained away from every chained away from everything else. But the special rule only triggers if he can charge them. So there's got to be something in range unless they use terrain or whatever. Now there's some ways you can get around that. Things like. If you call a heroic march, you can't actually charge. So that's one way to get around it because you call that the start of your move. It's part of your heroic action. And then that overrides the rule. You could block guys in the way so you can't charge it. So move your other models first and wall him off. So make almost like a a little fence around him of whoever you've got, dwarves or elves or men, forcing him to go in certain directions. Uh, you could probably put like a circle around him and just have it so he could only go forward and push into the lines. So there's there's ways around that for both sides. It's actually kind of hard to bait him away. It is hard work to do that. You often need maybe a couple fast models, and you're setting them up as a speed bump, but you're thinking long-term so that he has to do that. And it's something that I think the actual not benefit from others' heroics is probably worse. So we've got some basic tactics there. In terms of armies, I'm going to start off here so the others don't steal my army idea. 
I would run him with pretty much an all Merkled Ranger army. I'll take Bayorn the Bowman with his five point bow. I'll sit here and basically play him as a as a might powered character shooting if I wanted to at the start. And then the way the Merkled Rangers play is that they avoid combat, avoid combat, avoid combat, split up the enemy, and eventually charge in and take some advantage. And I think once the enemy split up, you could turn into a bear and take on a small amount and then just almost run your elves away, just leave him alone for whatever hits you and then make a mess of them, start barging, start hurling to, to knock guys over and get more shooting power. There'd be a real disruption piece uh, for that army. So that's how I would run him, probably probably at, at the minimum at 800, definitely at 1,000 with all Merkled Rangers. My idea of how to take him in an army would definitely have to be the Battle of Five Armies. So pick any of the contingents from there. Men of Lake Town, you could probably use Dale, since in the movie they raided the weapon stores. And then you've got Bjorn with them as the guy who just rocks up and saves the day by killing lots of bad guys. Yep, that's a good one. I'd actually like to give him a try in my Gondor army. I know he can't lead Gondor troops, so that's a bit of a an inconvenience for me. But um, I'd just like to see how he goes, because I've felt oftentimes that Gondor really lack a line breaker. They do have someone like Boromir, but... I feel they sometimes need a second one just to be sort of in more than one place at one time. And that's also another weakness Cindy has. He can only be in one place at one time. And he's on par for the cost of the model. Like he's pointed about the same as Treebeard. So it does a similar role as that as your really high, hard to kill monster. Does a huge amount of damage. Can kill almost anything in the game. Well, probably anything in the game. Uh, he does make a mess of things. Yeah, if he gets reasonably lucky with a bear hug, he can kill pretty much everything. So some strange situations we could have is his potential to take on things like Sauron, because where you get down to um, hugging Sauron in the ring, does anyone know how that works? Does the ring count as a fate roll? The ring is not a fate roll, I believe. Um, It's actually taken at the end of the turn now when they brought out the Mordor book. Okay, so it's the end of the turn. Yeah, so it's like a single roll now for encompassing all the wounds that he's taken. So I think the bear hug against Sauron is a bit poor. So it's not we're sitting there, I roll the 3+, plus, you roll the 2+, plus, I roll the 3+, plus, no, no, you roll the 2+. Plus. It's when he's taken as a casualty. So the bear hug would still work, wouldn't it? It would go, you do the five wounds or whatever it is, and then he'll throw his ring at it, and it's the without the might use, because it's not one of the things listed for might. And then... Oh, wow, you can't might the ring anymore? No. Oh, that's a discussion for another time. There's there's some debate on that, but it's it's definitely not listed as one of the things you can use. Mm-hmm. It's up to whether it's fate or not. If you believe it's a fate roll, then you can. If you believe it's not, you can't. Um, I don't want to go into that debate because that's a, that's a massive, massive one. That is one. a very lengthy thing for us to discuss later. But if later. it's not a fate roll, then Bjorn can keep chipping wounds. Yeah, no, it's taken when he's lost his last wound. So you can't actually throw it on your first wound. Mm-hmm. So he can keep chipping wounds off. The The bottom line is if he gets lucky you're going to have Sauron sitting down with one wound at the end of it. Mm-hmm. Which is never too bad, because then he's rather vulnerable. Yeah, absolutely. And it's going to be better, more effective than something like the Necromancer or the Undying, where they get to throw fate on the first one. And it's pretty much irrelevant, because they got one wound, so I probably wouldn't bother with those ones. No, you'd just go in with the standard three attacks. And rend. Yeah, yes. rend, because then you're fighting against their strength, not their stupidly mm-hmm. high defense. I just pick them up and try and throw them in some lava or whatever you've got around. But Well, rend and the bear hug pretty much get the same, the three plus to attack anyway, because it's going to be three plus 
pretty much no matter what you do. So he's going to be wounding most things. Now, I'm going to, this leads into the stories. First of all, you've probably heard it all before. At the Clash of the Titans tournament, the thing that we've all been wondering about and could it happen, could it happen? Yes, Bayon did bear hug Mumak in the tournament and killed him from 10 to 0 wounds in one turn. Now, I don't want to do the math on that because it's a little bit complex with the use of might, but it's it's something you wouldn't think is likely and you would not bet on it, but it's a big story when it happens. Who can use might in that situation? Bayon can use, he used a couple points of might to for the wound rolls. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So there's no problem. Bear hug is, you still roll to wound. You can use might on wound rolls. So you, you use that down. Uh, the Mumak pretty much loses combat to Bayon every time if he gets into it. Mumak... The Mumak loses combat to most things, though. So any yeah, hero absolutely. bigger than a captain that it can't just roll over, pretty much. Oh, even Rangers of the North have a habit of beating it on the nose. <laughs> yeah, so we, we'll save that for the Mumak episode, which is definitely coming up very shortly, sometime. So that's that's the first one. The second one is I played against Bayorn when uh, our own Matthew Todd used it in one of the tournaments. One of the tournaments he actually won. He took it with dwarves. And I remember doing my best to bait it with my Hunter Orcs. I had a Hunter Orc horde, so it was basically all Hunter Orc foot troops. And I managed to to actually bait him away. I had him off the lines. His dwarves did a huge amount of damage to me, but I did manage to mitigate Bayorn, where I think he only killed two or three models for the whole game. Now, Matt still won that game. The dwarves did fantastically. But I was surprised about that. I used mainly terrain and Matt's own models to block it off. Because dwarves can't move a whole lot, so I was pinning them in place, but making sure that I couldn't be charged, so using things like fences, and he's on a huge base, so trying to not use that, and then I think I had a couple of wags that I used to bait him away, so I think I had three of them that, that sort of formed a bit of a wag conga line, eight inches apart, and he hopped through and bit a few, and by the time he got back, most of the damage was done through his rest of his army of orcs, so that's pretty much the only time I've played against him in a points match game. He seemed probably scarier than I thought like it didn't do a huge amount but I know the damage potential is just massive in the Bayon model and we've used him a lot of scenarios which we'll get to in our scenario spotlight segment okay I think we're going to rate this because we want to talk about something else so we've got a new rating system now and we're going to try it for probably this episode and maybe no other but we'll see how we go instead of being out of 10 we're going to be out of 5 Istari so instead of stars we're going for Istari uh, being the 5 wizards in Middle Earth so a score out of 5 Let's start with David. Score out of five magical stars. Let's see. Your uh, stars. It's stars. It's sorry. It's sorry. Either way. He's got a devastating stat line, but he's 200 points. This is going to balance out at, let me run the calculations, four it's sorry. That gets us up to a Gandalf the Grey. Yep. Four's not bad at all, Charles. I'm going to give him three and a half Istari because he can be lured away. He does have inherent weaknesses. And he can be mitigated to some extent. So, yeah, I don't think he's quite a full Gandalf the Grey, unfortunately. Three and a half. Would that make him Radagast with Sebastian or with Slay? Or... What's mm. a half Istari look like? A half Istari is the ones that we don't know whether or not they quite exist. So the two that went off to the west. Okay, so Radagast and Friend. Oh, okay. I'm going to give him four as well. Four Istari for me because... I think the damage is just wonderful. Like, the, what he can do for a good side 
is really, really good. He can dominate a game. He's got some really nice moves you can pull off with the man-bear change. He causes terror as a bear. He's got the brutal power attacks and, and an actually useful brutal power attack as the additional one, unlike, say... The three trolls who get ones that you look at in the very situational, or the Cave Drake's power attack, which is, I think, there to waste time and text. But the weaknesses are there, and and the lure, and and you have to spend a lot of time controlling your own bear. So for that, he doesn't get the full score for me. But four stars, I think, is a really good rating. Great model, especially your conversion, by the way. Very nice model. Thank you very much. Okay, well that's the end of that segment, and join us next for. Know thine law, Bayorn. Greetings comrades, and welcome to Know Thine Law, the quiet corner of the Green Dragon Inn where we keep the sacred texts of ancient wisdom and so along, and generally we take it slow and read through them. Today we're looking at what we have on Bjorn. He made it very briefly into the Lord of the Rings, where in the Fellowship it mentioned pretty much what his descendants were getting up to. They'd formed a, you know, hearty band of men that was defending the Vales and generally doing good work. But his star appearance was in The Hobbit, where he comes across as a fairly likeable woodsman, a bit gruff, short-tempered, suspicious of strangers, but in these days, who isn't? And generally, when befriended, he's got a fierce chuckle, a hearty laugh, he lives mainly off milk and honey, cream and such like. He keeps giant pastures of bees, big as your thumb, which is not to be sneezed at. But settling down and looking at the character... Bjorn is a giant of a man, he wears long wool knitted tunics, he lives in a house that is more rightly a giant log hall, is waited on by animals that he can speak their language and who appear to understand what you are saying. All in all, he's, he's fairly well an oddball character. He doesn't kind of mesh with those around him and really the sort of feeling that you get when reading the chapters when they're passing through queer lodgings is that this is, this is a man who doesn't fit. He's created his own world. You've gone through the Misty Mountains. You're approaching Mirkwood. And here you find this little ordered community of, you know, wildflowers have been planted in neat rows. And there's nice hedges of oak trees and such like. So he's out of place, but he doesn't care. His star appearance, however, is the Battle of Five Armies. When he decides, you know what? There's something more than just my little house. There's something more than the community that I've built here with these animals. There is an enemy. There are goblins, there are wags, and they are roaming the lands. This cannot be allowed. So he goes on the long, slow walk, though we know he can keep pace with the pony in bear form, so it's not overly slow. But he eventually comes to the Lonely Mountain and finds a battle in progress. So, well, he can turn into a giant bear and... As we know from both the books and the game, the bear is not overly controllable. It cannot recognise friends from foe with too much reliability, so he just gets stuck into the fight. In this chance, he happens to get it right and comes up against the bodyguard of Bolg, which has previously defeated Thorin Oakenshield and his best fighters. 
But he's a giant bear. He doesn't care. He goes in, he picks them up, and he smashes them against each other and generally wins the day. Three hearty cheers for Bjorn. But before closing this segment, returning to the main tables of the Green Dragon, I will leave you with this parting comment that shows up towards the end of The Hobbit. It's referring to Bilbo on his way home after the battle is won and such like. He had many hardships and adventures before he got back. The wild was still the wild, and there were many other things in those days besides the goblins. It goes on to say that Bilbo had Gandalf and Bjorn with him, so he didn't really care about all these great adventures. But if you're planning on including Bjorn in an army, or if you want to write a scenario for him, that's probably the best lead-in they can give you. Many adventures were had. Which, when they announced that they were producing The Hobbit as three movies, was actually how I thought they were going to stretch it out. Anyway, back to the rest of you. Welcome to our final segment for the Bayorn episode. Now, this is going quite long, so we're going to keep the speed up as much as we can. It's getting a little bit late here in real time. We've got the two scenarios. So this is a Know Thine Scenario segment. We were going to do it as a separate episode, but you'll find out why in a moment that we chose not to. We've got two scenarios that Bayorn's in. The Assault on Ravenhill, which we've already reviewed and discussed in our Scenario Spotlight, and Alone in the Woods, which was from the Desolation of Smaug, book. Now, I didn't want to do a Know Thine Scenario, my solo segment, talk about Ravenhill again, and then talk about the uh, Desolation of Smug scenario in its entirety, because he's the only model there. So we decided to combine these episodes, so a bit of a, a double. Now, I've still got David and Charles with me. We're going to go over Bayorn's role in the Ravenhill scenario first. So in the Ravenhill scenario, by the time Bayorn arrives on the board with the Eagles, it's turn eight. And usually by then, combat has been reached and the evil side is starting to suffer. Due to the sheer fact that there's so many heroes for them to fight through and they're just so powerful, he's a very much a mop-up character. He comes in and he sort of ties off loose ends and pushes the good side over the edge, pretty much. Yeah, he's probably the last character to get into combat because the eagles are faster than him, Radigas faster than him. So if the evil player plays it well, he'll be the last one in combat. He might actually be able to be baited away in that scenario. You get some Gundabad orcs and send him off on a merry chase. But he's not that impressive in that scenario. He he could be to finish off a character if everything's going wrong. But most of the time he won the game by the time he turns up, I feel. I think he's more there to give the reinforcements that wander onto the board later something to do to try and bait him away since they can't make it to the actual fight. But even then... Yeah, I would love it was more like the books where he actually got to take on Bolg and... and it's hard to get to that situation. But he's there, and it's great to play him, and dropping down from an eagle is... If he was more like a drop bear. Well done. Someone had to say that, but yes. Yeah, so that's a good scenario there. We've also got the... Uh, what is it? Alone in the Woods, David? Ah, uh, yes. Alone in the Woods. It's scenario eight, apparently, but it's the first one in the Desolation of Smaug 
Okay, can you give me the reading for the scenario? Because let's let's do a bit of Welcome to Know Thine Scenario Alone in the Woods. The high pass leads down from the misty mountains into a peaceful valley through which runs the river Anduin. It is a land kept pure by the actions of the Bjornings who dwell there, and their mighty chieftain, Bjorn. These brave woodsmen ensure that the ford of Karok, which spans the great river, remains unspoilt by those of evil intent. It is a thankless task, for beyond their homeland lies the forbidding forest of Mirkwood, yet their perseverance has maintained the sanctity of their borders for many years. Very nice. Now, in Alone in the Woods, you've got one model Bayorn. You set him up in the middle. You can choose man or bear form. You choose bear form, basically. Man form, it's got very slight advantages, but probably not enough. In the campaign, it's actually your punishment for doing badly. In the last scenarios, you have to start him in man form. So, unfortunately, you only really use the bear model in this one. You're up against some really tough opponents. You've got Azog, you've got Nazug, you've got 1,200 orcs on foot, and six wag riders i think hunter rock wag riders the participants i really like because it's box sets that are logical to get you buy a box of you buy an azog you buy a nazog you got buy a bayon you get two boxes of hunter rock infantry which gives you the 12 models plus an extra what is it six an because extra you, six for the dismounts for the dismounts you get a box of wag riders and you get a box of wags so it's all very logical the problem with this scenario is it's really really hard for bayon you have to be right on your game, and it's it's very tough. So we had a couple of playthroughs tonight. Can we uh, just talk about those a little bit? So initially, I played through with David, and um, we found that David ran headlong at my evil force, and uh, that didn't really end up too well, because as soon as Bayon fails a combat, he can take damage. And once he's taken damage, he is really, really up against it. Because pretty much any of the Hunter Orcs with their high strength and high attacks can hurt him and hurt him a lot. And especially with Azog hanging around, threes to wound, it's just, once you start losing combats, you're dead. Make sure you take the Orc heroes on foot, because I've played it before where I took them on Wag and that was ridiculously bad. They've already got six points of might, so he's up against it. You need to conserve his might, and sometimes... Like, I played a game, and the one that I got close to winning was one where I let Nazug strike up and win a combat, and I took a couple wounds, but at least I had the point of might towards the end, because you don't want to throw them away willy-nilly. Uh, it's hard as an evil player, I'm oh, sorry, as the good player, because you get sur- once you get surrounded, there's very little you can do. You can just go attack. So you want to delay that happening as much as possible and keep moving as Bayon. As the evil player in that game, I felt really up against it, though, when I realized that you'd basically worn down three of my might without spending any of yours. I felt like I had very little chance of actually doing something if I didn't conserve Azog's might, so it was no more heroic actions for me until Azog is in combat, pretty much. And that's when it went really well. You just said, right, Azog's going to copper an orc to the face every time with the, the throw and just keep powering through it and move forward a little bit each turn until he got in and finally killed Bayon. That was another thing we sort of found over the afternoon that... um. Beyond does a lot of throwing, but unfortunately the throws are not incredibly effective at actually killing things, which he really needs to do. That could come down more to luck than the actual game mechanic, because we were throwing a lot of four minuses then. Yeah, but you'd think with the sheer number of dice that you've thrown, we must have thrown more than 30 at wounding orcs with throws, that you would kill 
more than a third, and we really didn't. A third. So even. Bayorn uses basically he either uses the barge or a throw most of the time. The rend is a waste of time because they're three plus to win pretty much everything anyway. So you want to keep moving. So the barge is great because you can barge a guy into a tree, knock him over, especially their wag, knock him off their wag, and keep moving, which is really impressive. The other way to do it is a throw, not so much for the kill, which is really nice but for the slowing down the opponent, knocking them on the ground, making sure they can only move three inches next turn and can't charge you because you don't want many guys charging you. You cause terror, which is great. You have friendly woods, which are giving one minus to the evil courage, which is great, but it's still really up against it. Uh, we had to make some changes to the scenario overall. So David, do you want to go through that? The main change we found was the woods that we were using were far too small. The Hunter Orcs are only at Neg 1 Courage if they're actually inside the wood. So they're standing on the edge, taking their Courage Test there to charge into the wood. Then they're getting pushed back when the combat ended. They were outside the wood again. So we pretty much broke open the boxes of terrain and found all the woods we could, piled them onto the board, helped a little. Yeah, we sort of found that the woods needed to be at least 8 inches in diameter to account for the bear's huge base and the 3-inch move that the foot models can do through the wood. So that they sort of had to be in the wood to get the negative and it makes makes it a lot more difficult for them because they have to go from throwing eights to throwing nines on their courage check to pass terrors. Yep. Um, the objective to this scenario, of course, is either kill Bayorn or reduce the evil side to 25%. To do that, Bayorn needs to have every advantage he can. So alone in the woods, make it a wood. They say for the Mirkwood scenarios, have 33 to 50% woods. That's a massive amount. Basically, you lay down, get half your board, and lay down your terrain pieces touching each other. So take up as little space as you can with them all tightly and fill exactly half your board with that. It's 50%. That's a lot of woods. There's not a lot of gaps to go through. And that's when this scenario plays the best. Otherwise, the evil side just find it too easy, don't they? Yeah, the scenario is sort of heavily pointed in the favor of the evil side. And, of course... Beorn being an individual model, he's heavily outnumbered, so he does have to expend a fair bit of resources just to go through normal orcs if he gets unlucky unlucky with his dice rolls. And the the difficulty Beorn faces is he has to quarter the evil side, so he's got to be inflicting a lot of damage, but if he's not mobile, he'll get trapped around and killed. So he's got to be inflicting damage on the move, which means heroic combats, which means might, and he just doesn't have enough. So basically, you want to hover around the woods as much as possible. You want to use your barge and your, your throw to disrupt the characters as much as possible. If you can throw Nazag or Azog, that's amazing. Throw them through their own guys because that's possibly the best way to kill them. If not, they're going to be knocked over and not charge you for a couple turns. And keep picking on the weak orcs. Save your might. Use that for winning combats if you have to, whenever you're going to take that. If you can't die from a combat and it's not guaranteed you die next turn... I wouldn't spend the might to win it. So if you're against one hunter orc or a wag rider or something like that, you might decide just to lose the combat and take the wounds because it's all about killing the orcs, which is a tough one. This is the actual kind of scenario I really love. It's got a lot of thinking in there. It takes a lot of brain power to use it. It's very tense the whole way through for both sides. It's an unusual scenario because there's only one model on the good side. And there's a few of these scenarios around. And I think this one does it best. Like, there's a few others I can remember. Is there's a Shelob one, Shelob Hunt scenario. Or not Shelob Hunt. The one where it's Sam and Frodo against Shelob. There's one with Bilbo in the same book. And there's the Bayon one. There's probably some more around. But I think this one's the best so far because there's lots of options. I think there's one with Gandalf versus the Nine at Weathertop. 
and that's that's true. Pretty yes. cool as well. Gandalf on Saruman. Gandalf fights the Balrog in one of them. Oh yeah, but they were they were little sub games. They weren't actually the true, scenario true. ones. Yeah, true. And yeah, they had to rewrite the whole game to. They were good to fun do that. though. That Palantiri duel or whatever it was that was yeah, yeah, that yeah. Was, that takes us back. <laughs> yep. Okay, so we've talked about the scenario very quickly. We'll give it a quick thumbs up or a thumbs down. Uh, let's start, David. I'd personally give this one a thumbs down just because I'm not a fan of the one model takes on. It's you've got a lot of options, but you only ever get to choose one of them, so it just feels so restricting and. That and if if it's a good scenario, it's going to be tense for both players. It's got to feel like both players are losing. It's just really depressing all round. So, while it might be a fine scenario, personally a thumbs down. I'm going to give it a thumbs up, just because it is so tense. Like you never know you're guaranteed to win. You do have to feel like you've got to work for it, especially if you are playing Bayon. But more so after we modified it and realized that we need more woods because then it is a little bit easier for Bjorn to actually feel like he can win. We say it's a bit easier, but we still didn't manage to get him over the line. We got him reasonably close, but he did botch the last combat of the game against Azog and Azog. Did he manage to head off. break the evil side? It was a couple models off it, but, it was, but for a roll of a dice, he would have been able to do that. And he did... Like, he was in a position to take out Azog. He was he was in a winning position, and he just it didn't get through. But at that point, it could have gone either way. Yeah, that was down to pretty much the throw of the dice, and it was either I won or Jeremy won that. So and With the Woodland Creature, there's a point where you've got enough woods where it's balanced. So it's just about trying that and getting that right, because if you, say, had your whole board as woods, he would pretty much win it. If you had... Yeah, hardly any of your borders woods, he'll lose it. So there's a point there where he felt it's right. That's the best thing to change. If you find it's too easy for one side, change the amount of woods. Okay, extra and woods. I give it a thumbs up because I think it's it shows off Bayorn. Um, you pretty much use everything he does except for, well, you don't really use the man form, but I imagine you would if in the punishment scenario. I quite like what he's doing. You have to really think about that. And I feel like you get a lot of play out of it. It's a relatively long scenario. We're playing it and probably taking over an hour each time when we're playing it. So a one-model scenario that goes for over an hour that feels tense for pretty much the whole game It never feels safe for anyone, I think it's a thumbs up from me. And that's all we have for this episode. Thanks for listening. Remember, traps win games. Thank you for listening to the Green Dragon Podcast. Please be advised that the Green Dragon Podcast is not suitable for children, the elderly, pregnant women, those with a history of heart conditions, or anyone expecting to receive worthwhile advice. You can contact us on the Green Dragon Podcasts at gmail.com. Yes, it has an S at the end. Or our Facebook page, The Green Dragon Podcast. We do not claim ownership of any works based on J.R.R. Tolkien, New Line Cinema, Warner Brothers, or Games Workshop. This podcast is purely for entertainment. The thoughts, as rare as they are, are solely that of our hosts and guests. Farewell, listener, until we meet again.